Welcome to Chatting About Change with Dr. Jim Maddox. I'm a professor, OD consultant, and change strategist, helping individuals and organizations experience life to the fullest and engaging in positive transformational change. Well, welcome to another uh, podcast episode. I'm Dr. Jim Maddox, and today I'm visiting with Christina Unrein. And Christina is a happiness guru. She works with achievement-oriented leaders and organizations and helping them to um, achieve their goals and, and move towards more happiness. So I, I've had a chance to uh, sit in on, on some of her uh, work within organizations and just she is a, a breath of fresh air. So Christina, welcome. Yay, it's awesome being here. Thanks for having me. So apart from the pandemic, how's life? Ah, I think life is great. Uh, uh, what you just said about making it what, what it can be. Uh, it's my choice all the time to decide to make opportunity and to see possibility or to decide to, to struggle along and fight everything. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I think that we could look at the things that the, the current situation has taken away from our ability to do um, and sometimes maybe lose sight of what doors it has opened. Mm. And so that's not to negate the, you know, the, the health risks or the, the suffering that's gone on with, with job loss and economic uncertainty or, or just health concerns. But, uh, but I think that sometimes we can miss um, the, the hidden opportunities that arise. So how, how, how's this kind of impacting kind of your, your work and, and the things that you've been doing with organizations? Talk a little bit about what that looks like these days. So there's probably a couple trends that I'm noticing from my experience. Um, one is that people that are going through too much hardship and aren't playing a long picture, uh, that they're tending to get rid of the things that most keeps your best employees. Um, they, they downgrade um, the, the nice to haves and sometimes those are the things that you need to have to have the best people. Um, so uh, short-term thinking will have short-term consequences and probably long-term consequences for them. And another thing I'm, I'm noticing is that people are, are slowing down sometimes and they're actually not trying to be as busy. So before COVID, there was a whole bunch of my people that wanted work-life balance. And now it's sort of on a silver platter for you. And if, if you can't make work-life balance work right now, then you can't blame the situation anymore because the situation slowed almost everything down. And then you have to start wondering, what's the justification of like keeping yourself busy and not trying to use some development time and not trying to figure out maybe a bigger picture and a bigger playing game than what you used to have? Yeah, like that, that idea of, well, I would eat healthier, but I don't have time to cook healthy mm -hmm. And now it's like, okay, maybe that's not the case. Mm -hmm. Or your organizational example, it reminded me of, I, I saw this, this was back before there were memes, but it would make a good meme. Um, it said, um, all vacations been canceled until morale improves. <laughs> and yeah, and I think that some, like you said, some organizations are taking a, a short-term view. Um, now, do you see that as, as necessity driven or is it more fear and panic driven? What's your take on that? 
sometimes I wonder how much of it's planning driven. That a, a lot of people aren't looking at sort of stocking away what they have in the good times and then they they blame a bad time for coming in, in their mind like i don't necessarily think it's a bad time it's just a time um and then they they're not ready for it and so they in a rush try to make what they think will work instead of giving themselves that extra space of going okay who, who others i what other ideas do i need to include in this what other outcomes can i expect from this and how can we we serve ourselves the best way we possibly can yeah so um how how is that playing out in terms of of your um your role with organizations are you doing that virtually with them or are you still getting um in the organization or just using technology or how how is that transitioned Everything I've been doing is technology oriented. Everything's gone online, whether it be training or coaching or conversations with people. Um, it's all phone or online. And it looks like it's gonna keep trending that way. Uh, even though, you know, people are getting tired of, you know, over Zoom call or whatever. Um, it's just tending to be a, a trend that's gonna keep keep with us. So with the with kind of the slowing down, are you seeing organizations um, take advantage of of your type of expertise to um, draw more from your your uh, your help with the a little bit more downtime with their leaders. The ones that are very very people centric, they're the ones that reach out during these times and say this is a perfect opportunity to to make the business better and different and to um, make it more than it was instead of trying to be stuck with waiting for the new normal to come back or waiting for the old normal to come back and calling it a new normal. Uh, the other ones, they're, they're sort of waiting it out just like that. They're, they're going, well, this is just temporary. It's not actually going to have lasting change and we'll, we'll wait it out and everything will go back to the way it was. Yeah. And that's, that seems like a, not a very sustainable business <laughs> model. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Have you had any, have you seen much ability to influence some of those organizations that are coming from more of that mindset or, um, or is it fairly set? I don't know if in a sense they've lost enough yet or if enough time has passed for them to believe that, just, just like when you hold out hope for the stock market. The stock market's not following the pandemic in the way that you might think it would. And so they're taking maybe some signals that they want to believe in and they're putting all their eggs in those baskets. And so they're not, I, I can't change people who don't want to want change. It's up to them to decide how they want change and what they want changed. And for me to help them find the best way for them to decide to make the change for themselves. And so if they're not ready for that, there's nothing I can do, but ask them to be a little bit more curious or to, uh, Put some other interpretations uh, out there to to help them see things, but sometimes they want to hold out hope for what they want instead of what's really happening. Yeah, that's a that's a really powerful way to state that. So um, it's it's really not a good idea when when a leader calls you up and says, "Hey, Christina, we need you to come in and fix our people." <laughs> yeah, we we might have to start with that leader. <laughs> 
Yeah, I've got really bad employees. You need to come in and fix them. Can you make them happy? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> How do you start that conversation? Usually I ask what's, what's behind that. What's going on to make you think that we can treat humans and we can treat your highest valued asset and the things that give you innovation and give you opportunity to grow and to sustain to, to have an initial idea that they are the problem and they need fixed. And just two months ago that they weren't. And that, that, that's very curious. How, how, how can you explain that to me or, or what's changed in you for that to happen? Do you see some organizations almost kind of becoming complacent with the idea that their employees really aren't going to go anywhere right now? And so <laughs> You know, it's kind of like, ah, turnover is not an issue right now because they're lucky to have a job. And so, um, do you, Well, do there you... will always be those organizations, right? And then there will always be the other ones, and they might be few and far between, but hopefully they're growing in number because what they recognize is that if you want to keep getting the best talent, if you want to keep getting the people that can do anything and go anywhere they want, they can do that no matter the situation. It's not the situation that holds them back. It's you as a person and the way you think about things and the way you work with people and the opportunities you seek and see that holds you back. It's not usually the actual situation. Yeah, I think that we, it's easy to lose sight of that. Mm. I mean, it, it reminds me of the, and I think it's probably more myth than reality, but the idea that like the the elephant that's been um, when it's a baby has its uh, foot tied to the stake mm -hmm. and doesn't, you know, wander far. And then when they get older, it's now just a small rope and it's not yep. even tied to anything, but they just have to put the rope on the foot and the elephant stays. And so there's really not the, the constraint. It's just in their mind. And yeah. So, and I think that maybe organizations can, can fall into the same thing. Is that kind of what you're, Kind of alluding to that's a perfect example oh thank you <laughs> i think I, it was probably a meme somewhere um, so um what um what what do you see as kind of the the next the next thing then um in terms of, of the work you do hmm so humans are funny and they're always progressing. I, I'm hoping that some of the people who have decided to take ownership of their time and their energy, um, because I work with achievement-driven leaders a lot of the time, and they're the ones that just feel busy and they feel like they have to achieve and do things. And sometimes you just need to be yourself <laughs> and you just need to take time to be centered and not rushed and find out what others um, are thinking and, and use that to to drive some of your decisions and, and not feel like all the pressures on you all the time. So I'm really hoping that there'll be sustainment in people not feeling rushed, not feeling overwhelmed, and having this space and time to make better decisions, and that they'll hold that space very sacred, and they won't go back to just marking off the task list or hiring people and doing things and doing and doing and then wondering why they're back at exactly where they were before. I wonder if, if it's a challenge for some really achievement-driven uh, individuals 
to appreciate that that slowing down right now mm-hmm. and, and not seeing it as uh I, I'm not being as productive or um something's not really right because I'm not just go, go, go. And that's what I equated success with before. Are, are yeah. you some of that in some of the, the leaders that you work with? Oh, definitely. There's so many of them that are just thinking this is a waste of time. We're basically in a holding pattern. So they're not taking advantage of what's you know being offered right now. And it may not be what they want, but at the same time, it's not always about what you want. It's about what you have, what's around and what you can make of it. And so if you reject a gift, then you're, you're deciding to, to take a harder path than accepting what's right there in front of you. And so I'm hoping that some of them will catch on and, and see the gift that they've been given of this time and decide that they can take that into life with them. They can take it into organizations with them. They can give people breathing space. They can stop overwhelming everyone because as a leader, you push your values down on others. So if you look like you're working hard and you need to do everything, then everybody else below you is like, crap, I'm not going to meet that person's expectations unless I'm working all the time and I'm not taking vacations. And I have to make sure to check my email and respond at 9 p.m. at night because that's when I'm getting sent something. That's, yeah, that idea of, of kind of the boundary setting or, um, and really, yeah, the, I think it's that, that, the cult of busyness that we can find ourselves in. And the, and the other, the other piece that you said, it reminded me of a, of a, of a quote, and I don't know who it's attributed to, but um, the quote is a, a, a frightened captain makes for a frightened crew. Mm. And so the leader, if, you know, what the, the message that they send, people pick up on that. And I think that's true of certainly true of parents, um, but, but it's true in organizations. I hate to use, parental examples because I, I don't like the, the idea of that parent-child relationship in organizations, but, but in terms of the influence or the mm-hmm. modeling of behavior and people seeing what uh, those around them, how they're responding, and then being influenced by that, I think that's, that's a real part of human nature. And, and you see it in the media. You see it how people um, respond to things in the media or, or, or even just social media um, is uh, very real. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard. I've, I've noticed a lot of people are using words that I choose not to use. Um, they, you, you'll see in your emails you're receiving, oh, what a crazy time. And I'm like, well, what did that just encourage? Oh, I'm guilty of that. I think I've, I think I've used that word uh, a bunch. And so made me step back and think, okay, so what would be a better word for, to, instead of crazy, maybe? Um, what a different time, what a, um, the way I keep approaching it is what opportunities do we see in this time of difference, um, or reflection? Because anytime we add something, then we're influencing people to also see it that way. So, saying that there's this light at the end of the tunnel, that means we're in a tunnel. And so I, I'm, I'm really curious about what if we're not in a tunnel? What if we're in, if we accept the situation as it is and we use it instead of fighting it all or just trying to wait it out, then we're not really wasting time. Like a lot of achievers would say, we're actually trying to innovate at a time where it's very, very different than easy. <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh, I love that. The, yeah, the words that we used really shape our reality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the idea of like social constructionism. So, yeah, so I think maybe instead of crazy times, interesting times. Ah, I like that. Yeah, or, yeah. That's going to be my new, my, I'm going to read, because I know I've used the word crazy. I've, I've said that in a lot of emails or texts. Oh, my gosh. How are you doing in these crazy times? I probably even started our podcast with that statement. <laughs> I don't uh, remember that. Dynamic might be an also a good word. It doesn't ne necessarily have a, a negative connotation to it. Yeah, I like that. Dynamic. Dynamic and interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which really is, is that's so grounded in the, in the work of, of positive psychology and, and appreciative inquiry. And the, yeah, the, the language really shapes our reality. And I'm sure it'll slow people down because they're like, what do you mean it's dynamic? What do you mean it's interesting? If nothing else, it'll slow them down to at least consider it. And they'll probably reject it right away if they're not ready to be positive. But there's a lot of, a lot of power in slowing someone down just to be a little bit more aware. Yeah, you hear that phrase, pumping the brakes. Yep. Yeah, and I don't think that that is part of our organizational fabric. Mm. Um, you don't hear a lot of people talking about, okay, how can we slow things down? <laughs> and yeah, Mother Teresa was one of her famous quotes was, she said, there's more to life than speeding it up. Mm. And, and yet, you know, we, we, that's the whole idea of oh, process improvement. How can we do things, you know, faster, better, faster, cheaper? And yeah, and I think that that can, there's some, there's some, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Some, I don't want to use the word danger. There's some um, consequences mm. to the approaches that may be unintended, unintended consequences. Yeah, because right now, another, I'll use a quote, and I stink at quotes, but I know it's by Einstein. He says, there's two ways to view the world as if everything is a miracle or as if nothing is. And, and I feel like in this time, if you don't embrace that this also is a miracle, the fact that there's a crazy virus that can just spread like crazy, um, but at the same time, it's very interesting, it's very curious, and it's strangely quite miraculous. What can we do if we get into that space instead of thinking, you know, it's not a miracle, it's a pain in my butt, it's a challenge it's hard there's no overcoming it and we just we gotta suffer through it yeah yeah and, and i i heard somebody make some comment about boy how would how would we have managed this prior to the internet and prior to the ability to to do zoom meetings and and it's like well it kind of goes hand in hand with the technology that it, it was able to spread globally so fast because we're in such an interconnected world with global travel, global, the global economy, you know, just ability to jump on a plane and be halfway around the world in, in a few hours. So it all goes together. It's, yes. It's, um, you can't really separate out the one from the other. Which makes you think then is all of those relationships that you've built, all those connections that you've built, um, are you willing to not have those in the future? to not have something unknown appear before you because 
that's really what we'd have to do is cut off the <laughs> the hand to spite the face, right? Uh, yeah, that idea that um, I, in fact, I did a, a a blog about it a while back. Um, I don't think I shared it on LinkedIn, but it was it was around, and I I think I mainly shared it with my students, but it was it was around the the, the illusion of rugged individualism, mm. and the idea that that you know that you can go it alone, that you don't need anybody else, and and yet there's you know there's very few things that that doesn't require um, some input from somebody else. Uh, one of the great examples, and I, I wish I could remember the TED talk it was from, but it was talking about uh, the technology, and it, it said that the that the the main form of, of technology, um, you know, a thousand years ago was a pencil, mm. and you could make your own pencil. You could, you know, you could get a piece of charcoal. You could have your own writing instrument. Well, the the main tool now is a mouse. Mm. There's not a single person in the world that can make a mouse by themselves. <laughs> it takes it takes a ton of people to create that mouse. Now we all know how to use it, but like if you were to just say, "Hey, go make your own mouse," um, yeah. And so we've just advanced to the point where we are very interdependent, much more than I think we like to realize. And um, but that's really what I think. That's what. You know, from an anthropological standpoint, that's what's allowed us to do the things that we've done as a species is the collective intelligence, the collective cooperation, um, the, you know, building ideas off of one another. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I think that we can lose sight of that. And, and I'm not sure how we balance that with the, the, uh, the sense of, of competitiveness that is built into our um, human experience. Um, and so I, I guess I think of a book that came out a number of years ago by a Japanese author called Coopetition. And it was talking about how organizations can cooperate and compete simultaneously. Hmm. And so um, maybe there's, maybe, maybe that needs to be revisited in, in this um, current, our current reality. Well, and I always, I always ask people who are very competitive, I ask how it serves them. And a lot of the times competition is based on comparing yourself with somebody else or comparing yourself to your past self. And so I, I have not ever gotten really great answers for how competition in and of itself is a serving mechanism alone. And so that'd be a fun book to read and see what it has to say. Yeah, I think that that's that's really fascinating. Um, yeah, I did a, a I did another short blog on um, it was a spin on on Michael Porter, the strategy guy from Harvard, his five forces of, of competition mm. and that model around strategy. And I I did a blog on what I was calling the five forces of cooperation. And so took those same five elements and talked about the cooperative aspect of it. And so um, I got some interesting feedback from some of my students. Um, some, some found it thought provoking, some really pushed back at it and, and thought, uh, this is how, how can this, you know, they, they see the, the sense of cooperation as very threatening. Yeah. So, um, which you would think that competition would be more threatening 
and cooperation. But again, we're back to the, the mindset piece. And so. Well, and it sounds like a control piece too. Because most people being competitive, they can control their own competitiveness, right? But in cooperation, again, just like the mouse, you can't cooperate with yourself. <laughs> There's an outside element and force that you, you need to be cooperating with. Um, so maybe it's the, the tough reality that you, you're not everything in this world and to count on other things and to figure out how to best work within that system is a little scary sometimes. Yeah, it's interesting um, because my, I mentioned earlier my wife who broke her foot the other day, um, she was talking with her dad who is a, her, her dad's a, a, a scientist, he's got his PhD in, in molecular biology of all things and immunology, which is really fascinating to talk to him during these times. But he just said, he goes, yeah, he said, you realize all the things that had to line up for you to, you know, break that bone in your foot by stepping off at, at that time with your weight mm. shift, catching the tree root, your ankle, you know, the torque, the weight, you know, all those things had to line up. And so just the idea of just kind of the, the randomness of things that, that we're not in control of and that we would think, like to think that we are in complete control of things that happen to us or happen around us. And it's, you know, we just had this really interesting conversation on one of our evening walks around, um, actually it was a drive because she wasn't able to walk, <laughs> but around that idea of just when you're not in control, then there's some freedom in that. Mm. Um, in that acceptance and just then well you know what then let's just let's just live each day and take it as a gift and you know and not try to control everything and not try to control every every moment every movement and and then not try to over explain things for when they happen um you know it just there's a lot of randomness to to life and um and there can be there can be a lot of excitement or beauty in that and so um, it's hard to see it that way at times. But I think you're getting back to the whole point of the, what do leaders need to do? What do organizations need to do? Like, look at the blessing of the day and look at what you do have and take it one step at a time instead of thinking, I, I, I like people who have planned, especially if they're trying to be very positive and compassionate and add great things into organizations and into people. If you can't, and do that yet though just try to do one thing that's compassionate one thing that's people-centric one thing one decision at a time and try to keep that up and if you if you make a decision that didn't go that way try to make a different one the very next decision you make and so how, how do we how do we teach compassion you know how, or how do we instill that or how do we how do we grow it in ourselves it's really hard because a lot of people are the meanest to themselves. Our culture is like told, taught yourself to tear you down. And then how are you supposed to build others up when you're basically questioning yourself all the time and trying to meet everybody else's expectations? I think one thing is practicing acceptance and practicing very, very small things. Like you said, like appreciate this day. And if today was the last day, how would you appreciate it? What would you be proud of? Or what would make you smile or laugh for this time? And try to do it until you make small habits. So when you appreciate, like my nieces, they love to blow the, um, 
dandelion seeds everywhere. And my husband does not want any more dandelions in our yard. So you could just imagine what kind of a operation this is. But if you can appreciate for them that it's something free flowing, silly and fun, and that that's what they want to do in the moment. And there's not really harm. Instead of my husband thinking 20 years from now, he's going to have to put down more weed killer and this and that, instead of being there in the moment, I, I think that in the moment piece that you were talking about, it's a great way to start practicing appreciation for yourself and compassion for yourself and others. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's a great analogy. What, um, what's, what's on your, uh, your bookcase or nightstand these days that are, that you're reading that might be, that might be of interesting, um, um, to share with our, our listeners? Uh, the books that I've most recommended and liked recently are The Anatomy of Peace, which is about um, how not to think you're more than or less than others. And there's a few other elements, but it really helps you to be more centered and to, to not be so judgmental. And then um, on top of that's leadership and self-deception. And then the one I just finished is called Tools of Titans. It took me three to four months to finish this book. It's 670 pages, but it's thoughts from billionaires and really successful people in about four or five pages that you just, you go, if I did that, what would that mean for me? And to, to really spread your interpretations and the way you can really live life. So I've gotten a lot of value out of that. Um, and I wasn't expecting that much. Wow. So Tools of Titans and then the, uh, the what was the deception one? Leadership and self-deception. Leadership and self-deception. And then the, the peace one was? Anatomy of Peace. Anatomy of Peace. Who was that one by? Uh, Arbinger Institute. Okay. Yeah, they do some, they do some interesting um, mm -hmm. work. I'm trying to think of some. I know I've got a couple of their books on my shelf, but um, yeah. They're very simple, short stories that are in a nice format. The other one I recommend to a ton of people is The Courage to be Disliked. Oh, wow. I, there's been, I, I think that would have been timely in parts of phases of my life and maybe still so. It, it helps you to determine your own happiness and help you see that the world's not doing anything to you. It's how you interpret the world. Wow, yeah. I heard somebody say that, uh, you know, if you were to make a list of, if you were to write down the, the you know, the, the 10 people that you love, um, it, to step back and think, is your, was your name on the list? Because, uh -huh. And if it's not, then, you know, that, that, that self-compassion, that, that healthy self-love is, is so critical. But I think a lot of our society pushes against that and, and discourages it, the idea of that you've got to be, you know, very much um, focused on others. And then, mm -hmm. you know, focus on yourself, then, um, then that's, you know, not wrong or, or it's wrong or not healthy. And I know a mantra that I adapted for myself several years ago at a real growth point was the, 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 the mantra that's, that um, self-care is not selfish. Awesome. And that, that was a real shift for me. That's awesome because what I have to do with a lot of clients that I work with that they believe self-care is selfish, then I have to use people they care about first. So I usually use the parental stance. And if they have kids, I say, if you're showing your children that 
taking care of themselves is not okay by your own actions. Are you proud of that? And until they see that they're teaching their children the same thing they're teaching themselves, that I can't take care of me, so you know, my son does not have the right to take care of himself. He needs to count on everybody else or he needs to let everybody else's ideas get in him and do everything everybody else wants and choose how he does life. And the moment that they see that they impact their kids and how their kids get to view the world, the, that's the moment they decide that they can start liking themselves until they realize that they can do it without even having their kids as a, as a centering point. Yeah, that's, that's a great starting point. Yeah. Someone, I heard somebody use the analogy of, of like when you're on a plane, this, this was back when we were able to fly on planes when people were still flying. Um, but they gave the analogy of when you get on a plane and if you're traveling with a child that, you know, if mm -hmm. you put the oxygen mask on yourself first and then you put it on the child. And so, cause if you don't put it on yourself first, then you really can't take care of the child. And the, the funniest example of that, was it was on a Southwest Airlines flight where the, the flight attendant giving the, the safety briefing said, and in the case of, of loss of cabin pressure, if the oxygen masks drop down to put the mask on, your, on yourself, and if you're small, traveling with small children, put the mask on yourself first and then select the child you love the most and put it on them <laughs> and, and then work down from there. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was... But that, that use of humor catches people's attention. So definitely, that was a great way to do it. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I need to go back and listen to this and jot down the, uh, the, the titles of those books. And so I really appreciate that. So, well, Christina, I think we're probably at the time that I, uh, asked to, uh, to, for you to share with me. And so I want to be respectful of your time. And so, um, so that you can spend it on self-care and, you know, and on, uh, on the, the, the great work that you're doing. So it's always fun catching up. Um, hopefully when things get um, back to a safe level, uh, we'll be able to catch up over, over a cup of coffee. And so um, hope, hope things are, are well for you in, uh, in, in Kansas. And uh, yeah, it's been great catching up. Thank you so much. This has been a blessing. I really, really appreciate your time and it's been a pleasure. That sounds awesome. Well, thanks, Christine. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Chatting About Change with Dr. Jim Maddox. If you want to connect more, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, and at my website, drjimmaddox.com. Thanks for listening.